Welcome to the third episode of QU Netter, The First Decade, the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine, 10th Anniversary Oral History Podcast Series. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Coplett. The first class of students has just graduated in May of 2017. The School of Medicine has received full accreditation. Our first dean will retire and our second dean will lead us through our second strategic plan, and both will lead us through the COVID-19 pandemic. In this podcast, we hear the stories of the faculty, staff, and students who joined the QU Netter School of Medicine in this most recent phase of the school's development, and we will start to look forward as well. What do people hope the next decade will bring? Let's get started. In August 2017, the class of 2021 began classes. And in December 2017, a new research laboratory on the North Haven campus of Quinnipiac University was opened, which would allow basic science researchers to conduct their own research and to mentor students. Meanwhile, the medical sciences faculty were in the fifth year of teaching the pre-clerkship curriculum, but of course they were still continuing to improve and hone the curriculum and engaged in many other initiatives with the School of Medicine and across the university. I am Dr. Maureen Helgren. Most people know me as Mo Helgren. I am an associate professor of medical sciences at the Netter School of Medicine. In this role, I teach primarily in the pre-clerkship years, everything anatomy in the systems blocks, as well as director of anatomy. I oversee the human anatomy lab in which many programs across the School of Nursing, School of Health Science, and School of Medicine uh, utilize the lab. You've been very involved in interprofessional education, also called IPE. And as you know very well, there are a lot of challenges to advancing IPE, not the least of which is simply logistics. What do you think has been a success of IPE at Quinnipiac? So there are some challenges that face interprofessional education and collaborative practice, both you know, in the educational setting as well as in the clinical setting. We're fortunate that we do have a center for interprofessional education here at the university. And over the years, this center has really developed many, many opportunities for our students to engage in interprofessional education. What I see as the success is that we're now shifting from this, what I would call perhaps academic tourism or those one-off events of interprofessional education to our students really engaging in some experiential learning. Um, some of that is through the center and some of that is independent of the center. And it's our students really understanding now that value of team-based care and they're embracing the fact that you know team-based care is not just theoretically a better practice but you know there is evidence of of patient outcomes better patient outcomes and population outcomes and i think our students have really understood that now and are seeking more opportunities to really interact with with other professions 
Along with Dr. Julie Hall, you are the faculty advisor for the Student Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Collective, also called the EIDC. In 2020, out of the EIDC, the concept of a new initiative called PEARLS was born, and PEARLS stands for Perspectives on Equity Advancement, a Research and Learning Symposium. It's a student-led, faculty-mentored annual symposium with three important parts, including seed grants for students doing EID work. Why is Pearl special, and what do you think it has added to QU Netter? Pearl's is special in many, many ways, and the value added to Netter cannot be underestimated. One has to remember that this started from the the EIDC, where students really were trying to think about ways of acknowledging and supporting and advancing equity and inclusion diversity within the curriculum and within the culture of the the university. And during that time, right in 2020, they were very. It was very tumultuous times across our, you know, across our country, across our world, and it was a time for students to be able to embrace that time and understand their own place in this in this world. Right, they were able to sort of open up discussions. Uh, between themselves about their own vulnerabilities, their own lived experiences, and really share that in a very personal way. And from that, from those personal experiences, they created this symposium to really be able to, in this incredibly selfless way, support other people, right? To me, that is very special. And I think that it was very welcomed by the school and by the university as a whole. As we think about the beginning of the 2017-2018 academic year, this was only the third year that our students had been in required clinical clerkships and the second year of the year four curriculum. And yet the clerkships and electives were in full swing. Dr. Harold Kaplan, a founding faculty member who was the inaugural director of the Medical Student Home Program, had transitioned in 2016 to serve as the inaugural director of the fourth year electives. He was known for great startups, having single-handedly recruited 50 outstanding MeSH preceptors before the school began, and similarly constructed the fourth year electives to give our students a broad range of experiences to explore across the state. By 2017, for the third and fourth year curricula, we already had a robust network of clinical faculty teaching in offices and hospitals across Connecticut and even up to Northern Maine. With faculty spread across so much geographic distance, an important objective for the School of Medicine has always been to make sure that our faculty feel connected to the medical school. There is tremendous gratitude for all of our faculty and the vital role that they each have in the student's education. I'm Dr. Olubenga Arole. Most people call me Benga. I am the chief of the section of hospitalist medicine and the associate chair of the Department of Medicine here at Griffin Hospital. 
At Netter, I serve as a mesh preceptor and a teaching clerkship faculty. I started teaching Nether students in their internal medicine clerkship back in 2016. And do you have any specific memories that come to mind when you think back to the first Netter students that you had and when they started their clerkships? One thing I remember about the first class is that they were a little timid when they first came out. We provided feedback to the clerkship director who sat down and spoke with the students. And right after that, they became more proactive, more engaging during rounds, asking questions. And I really like that about the school, about responding to the feedback and taking action on the feedback that we provided them. Was there anything particular about engaging with a new medical school that was interesting to you? I would say what was more interesting about having NETA students is the ability to engage with other clinical faculty involved in the teaching process from other clinical sites around the states, and the ability to network with them, see the challenges that they face you know, in teaching students, and also learning from them really helped build me personally. Also, I really helped make me a better teacher as well. I think one of the biggest things faculty have gained through our affiliation with Netter is the faculty development sessions. The school is very committed to ensuring they have high quality faculty teaching their students. And the faculty development sessions have been a great addition for our program over here. Prior to Netter, we did used to teach other medical schools but did he have the kind of support that we're getting from that? What has teaching them given back to you? One thing I've gained from this experience is the personal satisfaction of being able to train the next generation of doctors, imparting knowledge that I know that they will use someday to take care of some of my loved ones in the future, even probably myself. It's also, like I said earlier, helped to sharpen my own critical thinking skills. Whenever I'm teaching, I'm no longer just doing things because I have to do it, but I'm also thinking about why am I doing this and trying to impart to my students why they're doing things. In healthcare, sometimes we get caught up with doing things reflexly, but I always make sure to pause and stop and let my students ask the question, why am I doing things this way? Why am I using this antibiotic for this patient? Why am I using this medication? for this patient, why am I going to change this treatment course for this patient? So always ask that question, why? In July 2018, the growth of the school was marked by approval for QU Netter to serve as a sponsoring institution for graduate medical education programs. And in the spring of 2019, the School of Medicine became the sponsoring institution for its first three residency programs internal medicine and radiology at St. Vincent's Medical Center, and surgery at Waterbury Hospital. I'm Dr. Scott Kurtzman. I'm a surgical oncologist. Part of my job is I'm the chair of surgery and program director of the residency at Waterbury. My role at Quinnipiac is I'm the assistant dean for graduate medical education what's known as the designated institutional official. That means I oversee all our residency and fellowship programs. 
Can you explain a little bit more what those roles mean? Sure. Shortly after the school started, we wanted to make sure that we were involved in all aspects of medical training. So we became what was called a sponsoring institution, which meant that we can oversee graduate medical education, which in this context means residencies and fellowships. So we applied to the ACGME, which is the governing body, and we became a sponsoring institution in 2019. Every sponsoring institution needs what's called a designated institutional official, that is a point person who oversees the GME. And I was selected as the first DIO for the Netter School of Medicine ACGME accreditation program. Scott, what value are the residency programs that we sponsor to our medical students? There are two real values that the GME program brings to the School of Medicine. One is it's very important for the students to work with residents because it replicates what they'll be doing when they become residents. And also, working with residents ups the ante of what they need to know and their experiences. So that's one. The second thing that they get out of it is we have more spaces for them to do residency programs. We have great opportunities local in places that they're familiar with. So it increases the availability of residency programs to our students. What do you like most about working at QU Netter? It's very exciting to work with a school that is early in its history. We don't have a legacy of bad memories. We don't have old habits that we have to break. We can be dynamic and flexible and leave the past behind and do what's right for the students without layers and layers of politics and history. Can you encapsulate into two or three things what you've learned in your GME leadership roles? Uh, The short answer to that question is no, because I've learned about 100 things in this role. But what I've learned is that graduate medical education is such an important part of the school. And there are so many moving parts and interests, but we have great opportunities to expand our programs so that we can make training available both for our graduates, our medical school graduates, as well as people from all over the world. There's a great need for additional GME all over, and we're just delighted to be part of that. In June 2019, Dr. Luba Konopasek assumed the role of Senior Associate Dean for Medical Education. In addition to this new role, she became the School of Medicine's LCME accreditation lead and needed to begin preparing for the next accreditation site visit. What she did not know is that she would soon be faced with the challenge of a lifetime. In March 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, all QU classes were transitioned to remote learning and the campus did not reopen after spring break. In the School of Medicine, clinical clerkships were transitioned to virtual electives that were developed at record speed and yet with great care in an effort to provide students with meaningful replacements for clinical learning. From March 2020 through the spring of 2021, Quinnipiac University and the School of Medicine went through three curricular phases with the goal of providing students with high-quality, engaging learning experiences while keeping students, staff, and faculty safe. Phase one was 100% virtual learning and lasted from mid-March to mid-July 2020. For the class of 2020, that meant that match day and graduation were also held virtually. 
In phase two, from July to December 2020, we moved to hybrid learning and students eagerly re-entered clinical learning environments. In phase three, hybrid learning transitioned back to the classroom. That began in January 2021 and extends to the present day because some of the instructional methods used in the virtual learning phase were found to be effective and are being continued. I'm Dr. Lubicano Pasek. I'm the Senior Associate Dean for Education at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. And in that role, I oversee medical education both in the medical school and also in our residency programs, our graduate medical education program. Luba, you've been here for almost four years and you sure have experienced a lot. You saw us through our accreditation processes for the medical school and our first residency training programs and the COVID-19 pandemic. What are your memories during the early parts of the pandemic? I think that early on a memory is actually bringing together the educational leaders from the School of Health Sciences and the School of Nursing, School of Medicine, all of us gathering together and and really brainstorming in anticipation of what was to come and understanding that we all share a clinical learning environment, really thinking about how are we going to work together to create the best possible learning for our students. Gosh, what else? Oh, this is a big, this is a really important memory. In anticipation, I was meeting with our educational leaders, our course directors, and I remember meeting with Rebecca Zucconi, and with great confidence, she said, Lupa, don't worry, we've got this. We know how to flip the curriculum from in-person to online or virtual. I don't even know what she said, but she said, you know, we've been... We've been sort of practicing towards this. We've been drilling toward this with all of the bad weather in Connecticut, and this is gonna be okay. And I felt such a sense of relief from hearing that. I'd say the other thing that's really important as an early memory is this was extraordinary. Our clerkship directors completely revised the year three clinical clerkship curriculum in the space of nine weeks. Mm. And that was an amazing lift. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think it really speaks to everyone's passion for medical education. And our students came back saying how grateful they were and, mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of what they heard from other schools and how grateful they were that we, you know, developed that alternative clerkship experience. There was an online clerkship that, that Jen Rockfeld developed really, again, in a space, I think, of weeks. And we had faculty who created non-clinical electives yes. on the spot. Yes. And, yeah. and and again, it was amazing because we just put out one call and suddenly, you know, yeah. 20 people volunteered. Yeah. And that was amazing. What was it like to feel responsible for the education and safety of over 400 medical students and residents during that time? That was a heavy load. One piece that really helped me was our national collaborative. So our medical education senior leadership group through the um, Association of American Medical Colleges. I actually pulled us together and we started meeting weekly 
And I think for me, I felt especially vulnerable as a new medical school, a community-based medical school, where we had, we were working with so many different hospital systems, so many different private practices. And so it was very complex sort of thinking through how this was going to happen everywhere. In some sense, crushing responsibility of literally feeling like if we did not get this right, this was actually dangerous for our students. And so that was a huge deal. And then also thinking that as a medical educational enterprise, we had this incredible responsibility to keep the students moving through the pipeline because we needed to produce residents on time. Thank goodness we did not lose any of our students or our faculty to the pandemic, to COVID-19, but we had students and faculty who did lose people. So we had these incredibly difficult situations happening in the midst of having to do remarkable things at work and school. Yeah, I mean, I think the uncertainty of it all was really, really hard for everyone and sort of thinking about how to really chart a course through those very uncertain waters certainly knocks you back on your heels in terms of understanding everything from leadership strategies to how medical education should and could work. Lots of learning. Lots of learning. For everyone. And of course, there were coexisting pandemics that were fully revealed at that time, those of racism and health inequities. How has medical education at QU Netter and nationally advanced in improving content and teaching of racial and health care inequities? After the murder of George Floyd and also looking at all like the, the sort of the bright light that COVID shone on health care inequities, medical education really pivoted to focus in these areas. I can tell you that from the viewpoint of the senior associate deans nationally, we realized that this was actually not something that, you know, I think a lot of schools, it was sort of marginalized in offices of DEI. We realized that we needed to fully partner and take responsibility around this area also. And I think the fact that the students' calls to action were across all the schools also gave us even more impetus to talk about this as a community of educators. And so going sort of specifically back to some of the things that happened at Netter, we had an academic equity retreat, the allyship faculty development program that you've been spearheading came out of that. Really, you know, looking very closely through the equity lens for everything we do and not just curricular content, We started the work of looking at our entire curriculum, both in the what we teach and the how we teach through this equity lens. We integrated some new curriculum around that into year three. There's so much more still to do, but I think that we have a good way forward. And I'd say most importantly, we were able to recruit and hire our inaugural dean for equity, inclusion, and diversity. So lots and lots more to do nationally, regionally, and locally. I think it's a good beginning. We've got to sustain it. Circling back to our timeline, in June 2021, Dr. Bruce Kepin retired as the first dean of the School of Medicine. 
And in July 2021, Dr. Philip Wazell became the second dean of the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine, both leading the school at different time points in the COVID-19 pandemic. In August 2021, the start of the class of 2025 marked the return to campus for in-person teaching with several safety measures in place for students, faculty, and staff. Despite some brief transitions to remote learning, QU Netter students remained in-person for the majority of the academic year. Clinical learning was posing challenges throughout the country, and yet QU Netter students were able to continue their learning with our clinical partner institutions. I'm David Hill. I'm a professor of medical sciences in the School of Medicine. I direct the Institute for Global Public Health, and my goal at Quinnipiac is to provide education and opportunity for our students in the realm of global public health. Let's talk about the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. How did your role change at QU with the onset of the pandemic, and what was that like for you? We would read things about COVID-19. It didn't have that name in the early days. Would this spread beyond an area of China? And then the first cases were reported. And then it began to take on an entirely new threat. And we began to think about what's this going to do for Quinnipiac? So I remember saying to my global public health introductory course before spring break was coming up, he said, I'm not sure we're going to be in person when we come back after spring break. We began to form a task force. Keith Woodward in facilities, head of facilities, led that task force. And overnight, everything changed. Our task force met early on, sometimes twice a day, seven days a week for that first year. I was teaching my medical school curriculum. I was teaching a medical school selective. I was teaching the two courses in global public health for our minor students. And yet I took on this role. We didn't have all the answers. I wouldn't say we were making things up as we went along because we were using strong evidence and guidance that was out there, but it was really hard work. I would say it was relentless. So for that first year and a half, you know, we met every day, discussed what we were going to do. And we brought in all aspects of our community, faculty members and facilities and leadership and publicity all to come up with messaging, the physical changing of our plant. Can you tell us about some of the most interesting or impactful community engagement work that the students have contributed to over the years? My goal when I came here was to put myself in the classroom, to be front and center with our students, and to provide them with the education, the didactics, and the opportunity to put those didactics into practice. And so as part of our medical school, as part of our global public health minor, we asked our students to go into the community, to experience community engagement, to learn from our partners. The Greater New Haven area is a wonderful community for food and music, and entertainment, but it also has all the challenges that any community in the United States and around the globe has. My goal was to burst that Quinnipiac bubble, have our students go into the community locally and internationally and engage with our partners. Meg Crampton, who just graduated this year, Meg came to me asking if we had any overseas sites. I said, yes, we've got one in Kenya. 
So she decided to go to Kenya between her first and second years of medical school and look at the reasons that young girls drop out of school. So she found that they're oftentimes become pregnant or they don't have the, the funds to remain in school. So she did her study. She interviewed students. She became so passionate about this that she set up an NGO while she was a second year medical student called Sawa Kenya to identify and fund and mentor young girls, 14 through 20, that had dropped out of school for a variety of reasons. She was so committed to this NGO that she took two years off between her third and fourth years to transition this NGO from U.S. leadership to Kenyan leadership. And what she left in Kenya is really unparalleled in my experience uh, of students. So I'll just come back. Education and opportunity. Our school has all the educational needs for our students. And we really need to provide them with the opportunity because once they have ideas in their head, they can do amazing things with them. And it's just a joy over the years to watch what our students have done. In January 2022, QU announced a new university-wide strategic partnership with Hartford HealthCare, one of Connecticut's largest integrated healthcare systems, with 33,000 affiliated employees and seven hospitals. This expanded partnership would be focused on providing high-quality, coordinated care through on-campus healthcare services, redefining and advancing healthcare education, and developing and growing the state's workforce pipeline. My name is Jeff Lax. I'm the president and chief executive officer of Hartford HealthCare, and we have an extraordinary partnership with Quinnipiac and the Netter School. When did you first get involved with QU Netter? So in the early days, when it was just a concept and there was discussion about building this new medical school, it was terribly exciting. It would become the third medical school in the state of Connecticut. So all of us who are practitioners working in the different health systems uh, were extremely excited about the potential. And it's amazing 10 years later and to see how it's evolved and thrived and prospered and made enormous contributions to our state. How does the Quinnipiac University and Hartford Healthcare Partnership bring value, do you think, to both entities? You know, we were so excited to join Quinnipiac and become partners. So in many ways, I see us as kindred spirits. When I look at Quinnipiac and the vision of Quinnipiac to have ambition unleashed, it's a university that has continued to demonstrate courage, creativity, willingness to disrupt itself, forward thinking. So when we sought a partner, we were looking for a university with agility, a belief in that healthcare needed to change and transform, and an organization that wanted to be part of the future of medicine. So we feel Quinnipiac is an amazing partner for us. We think we're consistent and aligned in our view of the future of healthcare, and we're better together. We each bring tremendous resources to one another, and we're making a huge difference both here in the state and well beyond. You know, I've seen uh, the impact that Netter can have in the broader community. We have several members of our team, physicians, who mid-career became adjunct faculty members and teaching on campus. 
And I've supported them a few different times uh, in their classrooms, in their efforts, which has always been very meaningful. But what's been most impactful is seeing the way that it inspires, the way teaching itself has inspired our own faculty to expand their interests, to re-energize them, recommit you know, to their profession. And it's a secondary benefit. It's not something I could have foreseen 10 plus years ago. But when I see our people become faculty members, it rejuvenates their entire kind of professional interests. And it's a very special thing to see and witness. In February 2022, QU Netter was granted continued accreditation by the LCME. And in July 2022, the first Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity was established in the School of Medicine, an important milestone. Dr. Saleh Rahman, I'm the Associate Dean for Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity and Professor of Medical Sciences. What has brought you down the path in your career towards the field of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I was born in a village that got electricity in 2000. So literally, I started up to 10th grade with a kerosene lamp. And then from there, I went to one of the best medical schools, came to USA for clinical training, endocrinology at Jocelyn Diabetes Center at Harvard Medical School. And that's the time I fall in love with academia research, social justice, medical anthropology, with some of my mentors like Paul Farmer, Christopher Murray, who influenced me a lot. And it triggered me that, yes, I can do something that will probably provide the pathways for many students like me who could have gone lost somewhere, but who would be creating that opportunities, the educators, the institutions. And that brought me to equity, inclusion, and diversity as my passion, as my profession, you can say. You are our first dean for equity, inclusion, and diversity, and you started in September of 2022. What do you hope to accomplish at QU Netter? I think Netter already has accomplished so much in terms of students' diversity, uh, community engagement. I want to accomplish by furthering that diversity among students, among faculty and staff, also engage our community in a culture that is more equitable, more justice-driven, doing more scholarly work in terms of health justice, health equity, and also take Nature's mission to next level along with our strategic plan as well as the national stage so NATO can come to a, a center of this equity-driven, justice-driven healthcare. What do you think, Saleh, would be the most impactful change that could happen in medical education for underrepresented students and faculty? In my 
wishful thinking i want transformation of entire medical education so that it would be more accessible more quality and redistribution that will probably impact most the underrepresented students faculty and everybody in general that's a long term when we say transformation but in short term we can start with every institution that would be equity driven that would be justice informed and we, if we can incorporate those in our curriculum to prepare the future generation of physicians that would be more impactful for all not just underrepresented groups but for all in august 2022 the school of medicine's 10th class of students matriculated In that same month, Dr. Listy Thomas, our assistant dean for simulation and course director for the clinical arts and sciences course, transitioned from her full-time role at QU to become chair of medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center, which served to strengthen our relationship with St. Vincent's even further. My name is Dr. Listy Thomas. I am the chair of the Department of Medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut. You are also the assistant dean for simulation. Where do you see the role of simulation in the future of medical education? I think COVID really highlighted a lot of that. I think that was one of the big things I was really grateful for during COVID that our cast course was able to maintain an in-person presence but also to maintain a clinical presence because we were able to use some of the simulation modalities in continuing to deliver the curriculum. So I think some of the big ways that we can use simulation in the future are around interprofessional experiences for our learners and building on teamwork and leadership skills using simulation as a platform for many different types of learners to come together and building out those experiences that we might not be getting in the day-to-day clinical scenarios or environments that our students are exposed to but you know they still need to learn and so i'm really hopeful that simulation continues to be a platform for innovation in curriculum and especially around interprofessional curriculum and teamwork you have served in so many roles pivotal roles for the school and the students have learned so much from you is there anything particular that you carry with you that you think you've learned from the students so much that's a really good question and i think i have learned probably more from the students than they've learned from me for sure it is an honor and a privilege to work with students who are going to be future physicians right i think i've learned a lot about technology and <laughs> just even basic things that we probably if i was you know just working clinically i probably would not have learned to experience all the ways that we had to use innovation and technology during covid i am grateful for the students in all that they brought in those ways but also really just the the generational pieces i think understanding our learners as a different generation and all of the priorities of our younger learners has really helped me in this role as well because i understand where our workforce is coming from and i think it's been really inspirational the way that they have focused on things that 
when we when I was in medical school, we didn't focus on right? and and they have taught me that it's okay to prioritize a lot of the things that I think we took for granted, like wellness and equity and all of these pieces that I think they are real champions of. And I think all of that really just benefits the house of medicine and outcome is what our colleagues and what our patients experience, right? And so I'm really grateful for being able to hear life from a different perspective than, than what maybe me and my colleagues in medicine are used to. And I think that they really challenge us to think outside of our norms, and that's good. Dr. Thomas continues in her role as assistant dean for simulation and works closely with the team in the Standardized Patient and Assessment Center that we call the SPAC. As you have heard several times in this podcast series, the SPAC is an important part of the student's clinical learning curriculum and serves as a resource for all of the health profession schools at Quinnipiac. My name is Gabby Ciccolini. I am the director of the Standardized Patient and Assessment Center. Most students and others know us as the SPAC. So in my role, I get to hire individuals from the community and train them to be patients or participants, such as family members or other medical providers, all for the purpose of student learning and assessment. And so I get to work with clinicians and clinical experts, faculty, to develop cases and programming where we get to utilize SPs, the standardized patients, for students' educational teaching and assessments of their communication skills and their clinical skills. Most medical schools have a standardized patient program. Is there anything unique or special about ours? Many schools do have standardized patient programs. I think our program is special for a couple of reasons. One is the involvement of SPs. The SPs here do a lot with our students. The medical students have a lot of interactions with SPs, more so than other schools. So the standardized patients get to to learn who our students are, get to see them grow, continually give them feedback, which is unique because most programs don't utilize SPs as frequently. The other program that that we started recently is an expert patient program. What that is, is hiring and working with patients in the community who can work with students in a similar fashion as an SP, but in a more authentic role. It's more authentic representation of of who they are in the community. And so recently we hired transgender and gender non-conforming patients from the community to work in the similar capacity as a standardized patient, but they get to talk more about their personal experiences in healthcare and provide the students a much more authentic representation of who they are. How have you seen the standardized patient program grow over the years? And what's your vision for the program? The growth by the numbers is pretty incredible. So the first year we had 20 standardized patients and we ran about 50 sessions with students, primarily medical students. Today, so 10 years later, we have an active pool of about 100 standardized patients And we now run about 600, 650 sessions a year. And that supports the School of Medicine, the School of Nursing, and many of the programs in the School of Health Science. 
So internally, the growth has been exponential. I think where my mind goes for the future is sort of limitless. There are so many educational sessions and there's so much that we can provide to the public and to our clinical partners and to the students that have now graduated and are actually healthcare providers, continuing to provide them education is something that I think will be a big opportunity for us, but also for just the general public. We have become over the 10 years, the SPs particularly have become these communication experts, especially patient communication. So I see somewhere in the near future, more involvement with the community, because we certainly are supporting programs at Quinnipiac beyond the School of Medicine. I'm Jenny Oliant, and I'm president of Quinnipiac University since July of 2018, so now it's five years. And I suppose I oversee all parts of the university. How do you see the medical school adding value to Quinnipiac University? I think it's a brilliant recent addition to Quinnipiac. There is nothing more transformative than saving lives, and that's what medical students do. Such great opportunities for interdisciplinarity, for seeing the whole person, the whole purpose, the intersectionality of the sciences, but also the intersectionality of the service unto others. When you have the opportunity for a home across a whole spectrum of medical environments, rural, urban, academic, clinical, non-academic, various kinds of specialty hospitals, so our students can really choose the kind of medical culture they're looking for, the medical application they're looking for, as opposed to having this one spot that they're all going to go to. For some, it's a challenge, but in other cases, it's really helped us forge a variety of pretty thrilling partnerships with the medical environment. Do any specific memories come to mind when you think about the medical school? Of course, the founding story is a great one, and I've spent some time with Barbara Natter and how they, in their generosity, named she and Edward, her husband, named the school after their cousin, Frank. And I'm a person who really loves art and sometimes abstract art, and it, it strikes me sometimes as abstract art, but it isn't. It's really medical art. But that founding story, which is a story of generosity, and of commemoration of a different way of approaching medicine. And that's through the art of medicine. So that always gives me pause. 20 years from now, what would you like people to say about the medical school? I'm very proud of where our students are matching and placing a whole diversity of interests that they have across a variety of different forms of medicine, of different communities, of different cultures, of different purposes that they embody and can display in the settings they choose, in the vocations they choose. Some of them become chief residents in major institutions. Some of them go and work in rural 
environments that are just craving for medical care, that are medical deserts without them. What I hope is that there is a particular brand of medical care, of medical excellence, of of patient attention that is known for Kegunetter, that these are physicians that do embody these humanistic values of mind and body that it shows in the way they exercise their care of patients. One of the things that we have to remember is that Netter is still really young. I mean, we're just coming up on our 10th anniversary. And the kinds of people who were attracted here in the early wave, be they the first class, and be they the first faculty, including you, Lisa, you had to have a pioneering spirit. You had to have a gutsiness about what risks you were willing to take because you had a particular vision of what a great medical school should be, what a great medical graduate should be, what the practice of this noble profession should be. And you wanted to have a hand in shaping that and in benefiting from that. And I think that has had a lot to do with how this school has evolved and retained its distinctions. It's like the founder mentality in a corporate environment. As long as you have that founder mentality, the values are imbued by the founders and they're very evident and permeate almost by osmosis, everybody. And in this case, it's faculty, it's students, it's staff. There's a real burning sense of mission and purpose. And I think that at least for 20 years, you asked me about that, and maybe at least for 30 years, that or persist in our challenges to keep it going. December 2022 marked the launch of the One Million Reasons Medical Student Scholarship Campaign with the goal of raising $1 million for students with financial need. This was the first major scholarship campaign for the medical school, and I look forward to reporting on its success in a later episode. In April 2023, the most recent strategic plan, Painting a Brighter Healthcare Future for All, was announced and has four areas of focus caring for our community, transforming medical education, cultivating scholarship, and catalyzing collaborations, and a singular cross-cutting priority of advancing equity. Dean Blazell spearheaded both of these important initiatives that will see us into our next decade. I'm Dr. Phil Blazell. I'm Dean of the Frank H. Netter School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University, a role that I started in July 2021. Before coming to QU Netter in 2021, you were dean at the Charles E. Schmidt College of Medicine at Florida Atlantic University, another new school that's a couple of years older than us. What attracted you to QU Netter? I would say first and foremost, it's people. I think the school's people are its greatest strength particularly the school's diverse and talented students and its student-focused faculty and staff. Second, I would say it's innovative programming, promoting active collaborative learning in the classroom, and providing students with a wide array of urban, suburban, and rural 
clinical exposures in the community. And finally, the place of learning. I was incredibly attracted to having under one roof, not only School of Medicine, nursing and health sciences, but also School of Law and graduate education, really promoting a team-based approach to healthcare. Are there any specific memories that come to mind when you think about when you first started here at QU Netter? One of the most vivid memories for me is my first state of the school address. And I remember being impressed by the number of students, faculty, and staff in attendance, and also how receptive the audience was to, to two things that I shared with them. One, that I was really here to listen and to learn, and that that was my goal, rather than presenting a, a formalized state of the school, that I really wanted to learn more from them. And then second, sharing my plans for my goal of a national search to bring the school's first associate dean for equity, inclusion, and diversity. I remember when I announced that, huge round of applause and many of the students standing on their feet when they heard that news. And it was so clear to me that that leadership role was going to be so critical to the future of the school. So that's something that stands out for me. We can't talk about the last five years and not talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. You actually joined us in the midst of it. Is there anything that you have learned that has shaped the way you lead or your goals as a leader in medical education? First, I'd say like a lot of other leaders across medical education and healthcare, I obviously have learned a lot of lessons from the pandemic. I was a sitting dean when the pandemic hit. So not only did I arrive here in the midst of the pandemic, but I was also a dean at a medical school when the pandemic hit. I would say chief among the lessons that I learned that I think are shared by many others is the importance of communication and connectedness. And then I'd say on a very personal level, in terms of my own personal leadership style, I realized the importance of expressing vulnerability and demonstrating caring. And I think that as we have entered a new phase of the pandemic, all of this continues to be front and center for me as a leader. Time is moving quickly, and it's hard to believe that we are celebrating our 10th anniversary already, and we are still young. But this September, we are, in fact, doing that. And what ways do you hope that we will continue to grow? What would you like to see us move towards? I would say with our new strategic plan, we're both celebrating and building on the immense progress we've had since our founding while outlining a bold vision to achieve new heights in the school's second decade. So the plan, Painting a Brighter Healthcare Future for All, articulates our intent to continue a journey of excellence in medical education while expanding our educational footprint, cultivating scholarship, and deepening and broadening our commitment to our communities. So I see lots of opportunities for distinction and differentiation during the school's second decade. On June 1st, 2023, we held our first faculty celebration. The evening included an award ceremony for our dedicated faculty and an opportunity for faculty development and making connections. 
At the event, the School of Medicine presented 22 faculty with awards for excellence in clinical teaching, and two faculty were awarded for their excellence in medical sciences teaching. Two faculty received the inaugural award for promotion of equity, inclusion, diversity, and anti-racism. And I would like to share the inspirational words of thanks from one of those faculty on finding out that he was receiving the award. Dr. Trevor S. Sutton is an anesthesiologist who serves as a teacher and mentor for QU Netter students. I'm Dr. Trevor Sutton, and I'm truly proud and honored to have been selected for this award. This is a tremendous distinction that I value highly and consider it to be among the most significant recognitions of my professional career. I've been fortunate to have had outstanding students at the Frank N. Schneider School of Medicine who took the initiative to seek off-campus educational experiences that might enhance their learning as medical students. These students have inspired me to share professional insights and perspectives, as well as engagements that I found meaningful and professionally rewarding. And as a result, I believe that we grew together. Thank you once again. Greatly appreciate the academic leadership and students at Frank Edgenetter School of Medicine, that they value my efforts and more broadly, they value the efforts of clinical and community faculty who strive to support medical education. Many thanks to Dr. Sutton for allowing us to share his message and thanks to all of the QU Netter faculty for their commitment to educating our students. It's only fitting to close out our first 10 years with reflections from our students. In May, the class of 2023 graduated, moving on to fantastic residencies across the country. They share with us their memories of their time at QU Netter as they set off for their futures in medicine. My name is Whitney Nichols. I am a current MS4 um, at Netter. I matched into medicine pediatrics and I will be going to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center and Cincinnati Children's. That is so exciting. So you're about to graduate and pursue a career in MedPeds. Did your experiences at QU Netter affect your career decisions at all? Or did you know the path you wanted to take? So ironically enough, I always told myself I wanted to go into pediatrics. I said this is the only career that I'm interested in. And I think a lot of my faculty members, including Dr. Zaccone, said, you should hold that thought. You may find some exciting things happening, as you, especially as you get in your, your third year rotations. And I thought, oh, no, I won't. And so, of course, she was right. My first, very first rotation was internal medicine. And I was at one of our, our Q sites at St. Francis. And there was such a, a love for teaching there. I had lots of faculty there who, who sought me out for different cases. The residents there wanted me to be a part of everything. I just felt like I was such an integral part of the team. And I think the icing on top of the cake, I met a physician there. He was actually trained in medicine pediatrics. And though he just did internal medicine, he still had just a way of asking questions that I thought was extremely different compared to a lot of the other faculty where that were just trained in, in internal medicine. And so just watching him and kind of getting to explore how he thought about things and then kind of doing my own research, I thought, okay, I was totally wrong. I am interested in transition work and I'm interested in medicine pediatrics. And from there, I kind of just ran with it. And, and here we are. You are leaving a legacy of a peer support program that you started and that has already grown in the short time since you started it. 
So tell us a little bit about that program. So I started the peer mentors program kind of based on my first year. Um, and so I had to remediate my very first exam in medical school. And I remember meeting with Dr. Zaccone and Dr. Zaccone telling me that it's a very normal feeling, but I still remember feeling like I had failed in some way. I felt like I was an older student, take maybe three or so gap years. And so I felt like, wow, I just wish I had done better. And I remember carrying that guilt and knowing that it wasn't my studying habits. It was just the fact that I had a big move and a lot of family adjustments. I had never lived out of the state of Virginia. And so the then student affairs dean, Dr. Pham, had partnered me with another uh, second year, had a very similar experience, just normalizing the feeling of remediation and that there was nothing wrong with me, that I just needed to figure out how to get my wind. And just normalizing that made me want to study more, want to engage with faculty more. I went to every single office hours. I created my own office hours and I thought, well, wow, if I'm struggling. I wonder how many other students could possibly be struggling. And and so right as I, as I was thinking that, we went to the pandemic. And so that started our my second semester of, of medical school. And I started to hear some of my classmates and their stories about what it was like being at home and in isolation. And I thought, wow, we have to do something because there's going to be a class that comes behind us that will be completely at home and completely isolated. And they won't have opportunities to even talk to faculty the way that we did because there's the open door policy at Netter. And so from there, I found about 30 or so of my classmates who said we should do this, created a community of my classmates who helped support me through that. And so that was really what the peer mentors program is just all about, about helping students who come in through peer support and then also peer modeling to know that, hey, struggling is normal. We want, you know, we want you to struggle early on so that by the time you're a third year, a fourth year, you feel confident in knowing these are the things that I need to work on. This is how I get those resources. And this is how I move on because I know I can do it because others before me. Tell me about the relationship of the students with the faculty and staff at QU Netter. So I think the beauty of, again, having faculty who were in in the classrooms or in their offices at all times really just creates a network of, if I don't have a connection with one faculty member, I can try someone else. That was really something that I drew me, um, especially my first year, because I would start off with basic science, didn't really like it, but I found that Dr. Davis loved teaching it. And so even though I hated it, he would get on his whiteboard and write things out. And even though Dr. McHugh we would talk about biostatistics. He was one of the first people who helped me learn how to concept map. And that's how I study. I think the relationship with faculty is really just that they try so hard and they want you to engage with them. They want you to to learn from them. What was the most fun thing that you did at Netter? The very first day we did a scavenger hunt when we were trying to meet our, our sibling families. I think for me coming in, I did not know what to expect. I had one friend, um, his name is Andrew. He's still my friend to this day. And I think I thought, what am I gonna do? I've been out of school for three years. How am I gonna meet new friends in this new space? And I think that scavenger hunt was just so fun because it was competitive, but it was also us learning the institution, learning where things were, where can we ask for help and support? There's a locker with extra white coats in it. If you ever forget your white coat or if you need books or resources, I think the fun part about that is that it was not only was it an opportunity to learn Netter, it was an opportunity to learn my class. And the more we had opportunities like that and the more we had big SIB meetings and all these different things, that it really created the fabric of this quilt that I would like to call my class. My name is Garrett Garbow. I am a fourth year medical student. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I am graduating in about three weeks, May 12th. 
and I am going to the University of Minnesota for OBGYN. What's something about QU Nutter that makes you proud to be graduating from here? Like every institution, there are growing points and there are sticking points. And that is really important for us as students, as faculty, as administrators, as staff to acknowledge. I think what I'm proud of for Netter is its response to student feedback. During COVID and the summer of COVID, we had a lot of conversations about DEI and about how to integrate social justice into the curriculum, how to be more equitable towards students, how to provide more support for underrepresented students in medicine, and really how to support people who don't really have a lot of mentors. And I think that just seeing the school's response to that, I was proud to be in a place that took our needs seriously and responded, I think, as well as a school can respond. What do you feel has been your greatest contribution since coming to QU Netter, either to the school or to healthcare? I am really proud of the community that I've been able to build at Netter, both in the Netter First Generation Alliance that I started and in the Netter Pride Alliance. Coming to Quinnipiac and coming to Netter, I'm I'm a first-generation college student. My dad was a fisherman. My mother was a secretary. My dad dropped out of high school to go fishing. So I'm the first in my family to go to college, never mind, get a graduate degree. I heard one of our professors talk about his experience as a first-generation college student, and I realized that that was the first time I had actually heard really anybody, any especially professor, talk about their experience. And I knew that I'm not alone in having this identity and that it's very important to build community because I think things are rare because we don't talk about them, right? So I started the Netter First Gen Alliance and we started a mentoring program. We started a lending library. We started having community meetings and it's, I'm, I think I'm really proud of that legacy and it continues now. I think we're starting our fourth year of the Netter First Gen Alliance, which is really quite exciting. Similarly with the Netter Pride Alliance, I was the treasurer my first year and then the co-president my second year. And I do a lot of healthcare for trans and gender non-conforming patients. And so I was able to start a trans resource day and kind of a organize um, a conference on transgender health. I brought in a few speakers and I also contributed to kind of school culture by creating a module for training and how to use pronouns and how to kind of be sensitive and come at these topics from a lens of kind of cultural humility. Tell me about the relationship of the students with the faculty and staff at QU Netter. So this is actually one of the reasons why I was so attracted to Netter in the first place. I have migraine headaches and one month first year, I had a month-long migraine that was really awful. My normal things didn't, you know, break it. And so my doctor was like, just go to the emergency room. Like, they'll be able to give you the meds that you need. And so I was walking to my car and a professor I didn't really know too well, but had been in a few classes with her, asked me, you know, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, good. And then I paused and I'm like, actually, I'm not doing too well. I'm headed to the emergency room right now for a migraine. And 
she just had like this look come across her face and was like, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you need groceries? Do you need me to talk to any of your professors? Let me know. This is my phone number. Truly, I'm here if you need anything. And just the the care that this, this professor took for, you know, I, I'm not her advisee. I'm, I'm not her mentee, but she saw that I was struggling and she reached out and offered to really go above and beyond to help there are little kindnesses like that. And I really have found that, you know, what makes what makes a school are the professors and the students and the relationships between them. And my relationships with my professors are just incredible. My name is Julia Cataldo, and I am a current fourth year medical student graduating in three weeks. Next year, I'll be starting my residency in pediatrics at Massachusetts General Hospital. You're about to graduate and pursue a career in pediatrics. While you were here, you created a brand new program to help your peers, and that program is thriving. Can you tell us about that? Of course. As medical students transition into the clinical phase of their training at the start of their third year, we begin to navigate new experiences. And although we're not alone in experiencing these events, we're often separated on different teams at different clinical sites and by our busy schedules. So this makes for limited opportunities to connect with each other and reflect on these really foundational events. It also limits our ability to support each other in this community. To combat this, I designed the Clerkship Peer Support Program which is led by third-year medical students for their peers. It provides training in peer support and stress management skills, but it also provides a structure so that throughout year three, students can meet in small groups that are student-led and reflect on their experiences together. I've been really struck by the different texts that I've gotten from my peers during when it was my cohort of medical students, Mm -hmm. and then also for the second cohort, just to say, you know, thank you for getting us together and for providing this space for us. And kind of on a personal side, I was able to participate in the program and it was such a really giving opportunity for me because I was able to think through those big firsts. So the first time that I had a patient pass away, the first time I saw a baby being born and also how I could reflect back on what I find meaningful in medicine. You were a first-year medical student when the COVID-19 pandemic started. So you've gone to medical school through the pandemic. What was that experience like for you? And what do you think you've learned from it? For myself, I'm always interested in transitions, right? And how we find a new way of living or community in those transitions. So as we navigated the beginning of the pandemic, we made so many transitions, of course, to remote learning, to coming back home to like parents or new spaces, not being even in the same towns or city that we used to be before, and like navigating what life looks like in those spaces too. Obviously, we were able to prioritize our learning alongside this like big shift in our life as well through different mechanisms by quickly shifting into all remote Zoom learning to transitioning into remote exams 
which I think if you were to tell me that I would take my last exam of first year in my childhood bedroom, I would have laughed, right? But then in trying to create community as we move from that totally remote to a hybrid version as well, where you were sometimes at school, but not always at school with other folks that you found community with. I think the pandemic will continue to teach us about adaptability and also how we find community in in different ways. Is there any advice or a pearl of wisdom that you would like to share with either current or future QUNetter students? I found that it can be really difficult to know when to take your space and to jump in and use your skills, whether it's in the classroom or in on different teams or in different clinical spaces. And so my advice is to be present and active. This looks like having the courage to volunteer first in your clinical art session when you're first learning a new physical exam maneuver. It also looks like introducing yourself to team members at a new clinical site to show your intention for collaboration. Or it could be you know, being active in the room by holding your patient's hand. By being present in the room, you remind yourself that you deserve to be there and that you have such an impact for your patients and your team. But it can be hard to trust your training sometimes. But I'm here to say, trust your training and your talents. You deserve to be there and to provide care for your patients. for listening to QU Netter, The First Decade, the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine, 10th Anniversary Oral History Podcast Series. We hope that you have enjoyed hearing about the history of our school through the memories and experiences of our vibrant QU Netter community. As we begin the 2023-24 academic year and the beginning of our second decade, we look forward to the next part of our journey together. Please join us for the next podcast in this series called Memories, where each person that you heard in these first three podcasts shares their best memory from their time at QU Netter. I'm your host, Lisa Coplett. Sincere thanks to all of the wonderful people who agreed to be interviewed and helped tell the story of our school. I would like to also thank the people who made this podcast possible. Katie Lyons, our producer. Grace McGuire, our assistant producer, and David DeRoche, our program director. For more information on all of Quinnipiac's podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. QU Podcasts.